Chapter 14 Yamath and Rebek walked through the half-completed temple. Rebek pointed overhead to the newest innovation, a network of power stones that hovered throughout the structure. During the day, they were dark, absorbing the light of the sun. At night, they beamed brightly, chasing away ghosts. We have no need of moonlight or starlight anymore. The temple will be our light. It will cast a gentle glow over all the streets, even the dark alleys. Rebecca paused. Her lovely figure lingered sadly in gemstone reflection all around. With more light, perhaps your engagements will not so often turn deadly. In the power stones, Yamoth's image was a shadow that loomed over Rebecca. We only kill in self-defense. When an untouchable tries to kill us. I know, Rebecca said. You're fighting an undeclared war, and every war has its casualties. I just want to be sure you aren't one of the casualties. He lifted an eyebrow. If you're worried about your husband's health, he's mostly in the hands of his goblins and machines now. Were I to die... No, it's not Glaceon. Well, of course I'm worried about him, his paranoid delusions, his army of goblin helpers, his split brain. He deteriorated so much since our return. Only a few goblins and I can understand him anymore. Of course I'm worried. She walked again, wrenching her hand in uncertainty. Reaching the western facade, she glazed beyond the canyons of crystal. The world dropped away 1,500 feet to the vast desert. Only the occasional fleck of an air caravel shone in the huge expanse. But I'm just as worried about you. Yamoth strode up beside her. About me? Rebecca shook her head. Abstracted. With Glaceon lost in delusion, you're the only one who shares my beliefs about destiny. She took a trembling breath. Here we are on the threshold to a future without want, without disease, without war. We're poised to set free of the weighty world, but it claws at us. Want and disease and war reach out of the black heart of the world to drag us down. Yamath shrugged. Struggle and torment created Halcyon, not art and beauty as you suppose. It is the way creatures change in a debt. Only in the face of death do living things strive to transcend. War, plague, famine, these are the birth pangs of new empires. Of course you are fearful. You are midwifing a new people into being. Rebecca leaned against him, drawing the warm scent of him into her lungs. I told you, you were the only one I could talk to anymore. Glaceon was miserable. His skin would sloth off at a touch. His fingernails split and peeled away. His hair fell out in clumps. Under its own weight, his mind had split in two. Holes filled his memory. What he could remember were bitter arguments and long loneliness among machines and goblins. Rebecca hadn't visited him all day. Every time he upbraided her for her absences, she claimed she had visited, that he had only forgot. She refused to relay his instructions to the manor rig, refused to monitor the works of the artifice colleges in the other city-states, and even criticized him for making war on the man who was trying to save your life. She was less understanding than a goblin. Not enough breath. Adjust the bellows. Adjust the bellows. It was what Glaceon had meant to say, though the feeding shunt in his throat garbled the words. The shunt and his own rebel lip and tongue. Yamoth was mixing an opiate with his serum. Glaceon was sure. Perhaps Rebecca even knew. Perhaps she thought it was for pain. Glaceon could tolerate pain. He couldn't tolerate this muzziness. Not. Enough. Breath. These goblins understood even grunts and wheezes. It was their native tongue. The vile beast pattered among power stone arrays and fitted ratchets to bellows mechanisms. For a moment, the breath machine stopped working entirely. One goblin scratched his head. 
the other delivered to slap him. An argument ensued. All the while, Glaceon's vision was narrowed to a numb cave. He couldn't even slur out the instructions out. His lungs empty. One hand weakly pounded the handle of his wheeled chair. The goblins argued a moment more before they heard the angry click of the man's splitting fingernails. They redoubled their efforts. The little dunces had nearly killed him eight times. That he could remember. Still, it would be less galling to be killed by their ineptitude than by Yalmot's malice. All went black. When Glaceon awoke, a woman stood in the chamber before him. It seemed at first to be Rebecca, young and strong and slender, with eyes that gleamed like crystals. Limbed in light from the corridor, her face was lost in shadow. This wasn't Rebecca. She always wore work coveralls, her lovely features powdered with dust. She would not wear these tight black leggings with snake motifs coiling around them, this embroidered vest with these inlays of ivory, this silken neck scarf, and the gleaming beads braided into her hair. It was hard to tell in the slanting light, but her skin seemed polished ebony. The woman spoke, her voice deep and utterly self-assured. There you are, Glaceon, genius of Halcyon. Already, she had his attention. When she shooed the goblins from the room and shut the door behind her, attention became terror. What are you doing here? He gabbled nonsensically. The woman's eyes were sad. I knew you were convalescing. I didn't realize how convalescent you had become. Who are you? Approaching the wheelchair, the woman drew up a stool and sat. I heard about your theory about power stones. I heard that you proved the existence of artificial planes within each charged power stone. I wanted to meet the moral man bright enough to prove the existence of the multiverse by demonstrating its mathematical necessity. The woman idly sorted among the charred sketches and proofs laying on the table. Exactly. Yes. You glimpse immoral symbology. Immoral truths. Who are you? He slurred. As though at last understanding, she looked at him squarely in the eye and said, I am Dyfed. I was once like you. Very like you. Except for this disease. I was once human and brilliant and misunderstood by all around me. Now I am human no longer. Now I am a planeswalker. The word meant nothing to Glaceon. Dyfed went on. Dominaria is one of millions of worlds. You demonstrate the existence of artificial planes. But there are many genuine planes too. They are closed to morals. To such as I, to planeswalkers, the multiverse is wide open. A breath from the bell shuddered into Glaceon. Blinking solemnly, Dyfed said, I'd hope to take you on tours of the planes. I was once Thran. I have been waiting for the first of my people to discover these things. But the journey is perilous even for a healthy mortal. I couldn't take you in the shape. Any other disease I could heal you. You've seen what arcane energies do to Powerstone Thysis. Glaceon's eyes darkened and his lips compressed in a grim line. You don't believe me. You think I'm trying to fool you. It's understandable, the woman said gently. Perhaps I will convince you. Dyfed disappeared from beside him and appeared across the room. In her hand, she held an exotic bloom, its pink petals as vast as a man's hand and edged in brown. She approached laying the flower gently on his chest. This is a Pyrulean orchid, a species found nowhere on Dominaria. I step from this world into another, pluck the flower, and step back. She studied his eyes and smiled sadly. You are still not convinced. Dyfed rolled up the sleeves of her jacket. She clenched her hands together and jabbed them forward into the air. Dragging her hands apart, she tore a hole in reality. A vision greeted Glaceon's eyes. A world of darting angels and floating clouds. 
amid continents of mist hovered impossible cities of gold. They gleamed in otherworldly splendor in the space between her hands. Such places as these lie beyond the bounds of Dominaria, Dyfed said. Such places as these I will show you when you are whole enough to travel. For a moment, only that swimming image shone in the dark. Then light spilled into the opening door. Dyfed startled back. The tear in reality closed again. In the gold light of the hall stood another figure. Tall, muscular, commanding. The goblins told me you had a visitor, Glaceon, said Yalmoth ominously. But what sort of creature is this? Dyfed stiffened. There seemed almost a blush in her dark skin. My name is Dyfed. I know, Yalmoth said. I heard everything. I heard your claims. Glaceon gave a garbled growl. You bastard! You listened at the door? Dyfed asked. No. We have monitoring devices here. We listen to make sure the machines function. We guard Glaceon with all manner of provisions. They listen to keep me captive, Glaceon slurred unintelligibly. But where him? I heard all of your claims, Yamoth challenged. They aren't claims, Dyfed said. They are the truth. Yamoth stepped into the room and rolled his own sleeve back. The fabric came away from a long, brutal gash in his forearm, oozing blood. I haven't had time to see one of the healers about this. A wound from the street war. If you are who you say, heal this. Dyfed stared down at the separating sore. An untouchable had doubtless intended to slice open the man's neck. This forearm received the stroke instead. At the edges, skin was flayed back to reveal muscle under a thin speckling of pus. In one spot, severed tissue showed a pink sliver of bone. You've been prodding at this, Dyfed said, taking the man's arm into her hands. Her fingers were gentle and graceful around the terrible wound. You've been probing to see your own bones and blood vessels. I wouldn't be surprised if you had a stack of sketches back in your laboratory. Yalmoth only blinked. Not simply an injury, but also an opportunity to learn. Dyfed's eyes met his. I've heard of you as well. The man who believes the root of all illness is physical, not spiritual. That the body is a great machine that can be charted and manipulated, repaired and improved. You're right, of course. She placed her hand directly atop the wound, and it was whole. Yalmoth looked with amazement at his healed arm. Don't trust him, Glaceon hissed hopelessly. Yalmoth reached down and plucked the exotic orchard from his chest. Is this truly from another world? Yes. He drew a deep breath from the flower. I seem to remember encountering just this sort of flower on the coastal islands of Jamura. Her hands released his arm. It comes from the plain of Pyrulia. Pulling a flower from your sleeve? Mere sleight of hand? What about the wound I just healed? Dyfed asked. There are twenty-some healers at the infirmary who could have done just as well. Yalmoth took in another lungful of the flower's fragrance. It means only that you are a healer, not a plains... What is the word? Planeswalker? Don't you see? Glaceon protested hopelessly. He's manipulating you. A fiery light filled Dyfed's eyes. What if we were to step back into Pyrulia and pluck another? She lunged toward Yalmoth and snatched up his hand. The two disappeared. No sooner had they vanished than the door barked open. Rebecca emerged. Dust sifted down from hair and coveralls as she looked about the room. The goblin said a witch was here. Where is she? I'm all right. Yalmoth came to confront her, they said. She stalked about the breathing apparatuses. Where are they? Where did she take them? Somewhere else. 
Rebecca staggered to a halt and fixed Glaceon with a desperate look. Damn it! Where did she take him? Pyrulia. There was a moment as they slid between worlds. An excruciating moment. Dyfed had laid hold of the very arm she had cured. Arm and body were dragged right out of reality. The space between the killing place, filled with ravaging energies and empty frost. Yalmoth sensed a thin envelope of protection about him, as gossamer and fragile as a film of water. Without that protection, his flesh would have ripped from his skeleton. Even with that, the passage was agony. Suddenly, they were on the other side. Raving blackness gave way to omnipresent green. This is Pyrulia, Dyfed said, a smile playing about her lips. She gestured outward. Yalmoth looked right at the ridge where they stood. In every direction, a vast rainforest spread. Millennial trees trailed nets of vine and moss, hundreds of feet downward to wet undergrowth. Bright birds darted about the broad leaves. Strange orchards spread in sunny patches on the forest floor. It's a different world, Yalmoth breathed in wonder. It was not exotic flora or fauna that convinced him. It was the spread of the forest itself, literally in every direction. North, south, east and west. The landscape curved up and away into walls. They, in turn, joined to form the ceiling of sky. This was not merely a bowl of land, but the inside of an enormous sphere. Despite vast blue distances, the sky still showed the outline of trees. A living tapestry hanging overhead. The sun beamed, bright and eternal, in the center of the spherical world. This is Pyrulia, Dyfed said. One of the countless habitable worlds of the multiverse. How can you send... What keeps the plants from pulling loose off of... He staggered, kneeling to keep from falling over. Dyfed seemed pleased. The physical laws governing every plane are different. What seems odd to a Dominarian would be natural to a Pyrulean, and vice versa. Looking up dizzingly, Yamat said, There are Pyrulians? There are intelligent creatures in this world? Yes, Dyfed said. Yes, of course. At last, Yamat slumped onto his stomach groaning. It is all right, Dyfed assured, setting a hand on his back. This is a normal human response to planeswalking. Clutching his stomach and hurling into a ball, Yalmoth said, I am not a normal human.